Amen? Amen. How firm a foundation we have, Good Shepherd Community Church. What a joy. What a joy. He is our foundation, Jesus Christ. Kids, you can be dismissed at this time to go to your classes. Thank you for the faithful hard work of the teachers. We're loving these kids and raising them up in the atmosphere of the gospel. We, we partner with you parents in this work. Yours is the primary. Ours is to supplement and encourage and, and cheer you on in the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth, beginning in your own home with your family, your children. We're back in the Gospel of Luke after a few weeks off and reflecting upon our journey in Uganda and the time there. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. And if you need a Bible, just wave your hands and uh, one of these guys can get you a Bible. I titled my sermon, Worth It All, this morning. Worth It All. I've been waiting to preach this for a long time. I'm so excited about these verses. They're difficult verses, uh, but they're good, and they point us to the heart of the text. And uh, so I'm excited to share with this journey together with you this morning. If you would join me in prayer, we'll, we'll, we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. We want to draw attention to who you are. You are almighty, all sovereign. You are all good. You are all wise. You are in control, not somewhat, but absolutely over all things, in all places, at all times. And Lord, you're working out your good plan even this morning in this place among these people that you have ordained would be here in these very seats to hear these words that you have put in my heart to share. We draw attention to who we are. Oh Lord, needy, tired, burdened, some, heavy, weighed down by the cares of the world, by the work of the week, some distracted, I imagine, with all of the things that are taking place in and around and events, and, and yet we're here, Lord. And so we lock eyes with you this morning, and we ask for your help. Meet us in our place of need, our deficiency. Show yourself sufficient, more than enough. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the, the epicenter of all of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray that he would be more glorious to us as we leave than he was when we arrived today. We give praise to you for your goodness to us and your grace, and we, we experience this all through your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's just dive right into these verses. I want to begin with divine determination. This is what we see in Jesus in verse 51. Verse 51, this is how it goes. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he, Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's interesting language. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, okay? First of all, there's, there's days. What are these days? These days are the days for his work to be brought to its fullness. This, these days are the whole purpose of his mission, the whole reason for the incarnation, the Christmas story. The whole pointer of it all is Easter, moving to the cross, the tomb, and then the victory over death. 
and then his ascension. Uh, the days drew near for him to be taken up or ascended on high. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. There's a few things to consider here. First of all, in the Gospel of Luke, this is a, a watershed divider in purpose. Every verse up until verse 51 has been to announce his arrival and to speak of what it impacted and how it looked and as he taught and people discovered him and heard of him. This is all arrival and teaching. From this point on, it's about departure. It's about finishing the work. It's about crossing the finish line and then departing. And so we have this journey that begins. Uh, Jesus has not a year left of his life on this earth. So, and you consider his three-year ministry, we're past the two-year mark. I'm thinking about 10 months are left of Jesus' life on this earth, before his crucifixion at least, and he sets his face to go to Jerusalem to fulfill what has been preordained by God. We read in the book of Acts chapter 4 that God not only ordained that Jesus would die, but he ordained every detail of it, including what the Gentiles and the Jews and the sinners who crucified him and, and spat upon him, all of these things were predestined by God to take place in the work of their hands. Preordained days. Jesus knows this. He's already reminded us this is his plan. In chapter 9 already, he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. These are the days he speaks of. Jesus is aware of this. He has been aware of this. And he sets his face to go and fulfill this mission. This is his goal. This is his obedience to his Father. This is his love for us. He sets his face. Now, we should see in this that this is not just a, a lighthearted skip along the path. This is a divine determination and resolve. He begins his journey, and he is going to the cross, and he will not be talked out of it. He will not be dissuaded. He will make his way there, and he will accomplish his mission. No one takes my life from me, Jesus says. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So lest we think of the things that happened in Jerusalem as just a, a, a gigantic accident, think again. This is God's preordained plan of salvation coming to the crescendo on the cross of Christ. And Jesus knows it, and he chooses it to glorify his Father and to rescue us from our sins and our lost estate. This is a spectacular display of both the, the humanity of Christ, right? He sets his face because this is not easy. There's nothing in him, in his humanity, that says, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go and be crucified and bear the weight of sin for all who believe. It's also a display of his divine resolve I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey. It's a heavy time for the life of Christ, but he's not alone. He has his disciples following and many others, I think, in the group as they journey south from Galilee. Now, verses 52 to 56, let's see how this unfolds. It's, it's 
one of the first things that takes place as he sets his face to go south toward Jerusalem. Verse 52, he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. They wanted to make preparations for him to stay there. But the people there, the, the people of the village, they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Now, immediately, we're struck with, there's some things happening here. We are removed from the context of these verses. We have to work at this. We have to try to figure out, well, what, what is this? First of all, who are the Samaritans, right? We need to be refreshed on this. Let's do that. The Samaritans were a group of Jews who lived right in the heart of Israel. Uh, they were from the northern kingdom, uh, a remnant of the northern kingdom, the, the northern ten tribes. Now, you remember, those tribes compromised first and fell first. The king of Assyria came in and conquered those, those ten tribes. The northern kingdom fell first. And part of his plan, the king of Assyria, was to settle this area with colonists. They, they were purposely brought in from the east to settle in this area, at the very heart of Israel. Why? What's his goal? Exactly what took place. That was his goal. Intermarriage the pollution of faithfulness, uh, the watering down of the bloodline of the Jews. And they were considered to be uh, those who have rejected the Jewish faith, in large part because they intermarried with these foreigners. The effects were clear, just as, Jesus, or just as the Lord warned his people not to do, they did, and their worship became uh, polluted. Their Bible, they saw the first five books of the Pentateuch as theirs, but then they changed it to make it fit what they wanted it to say. They had an adjusted Bible. In fact, they denied the rest of the text. They replaced the temple in Jerusalem. They didn't want to go to Jerusalem. They wanted their own mountain. And so they picked Mount Gerizim, right in the heart of Samaritan territory, and they built a temple there, and that's where they worshiped. They revised the history, which is popular these days, and as a result, obviously, there was intense hatred among faithful Jews and Samaritans. There was violence. There was um, long-held hatred. There were uh, wars and attacks. In fact, at one point, uh, the temple on the top of Mount Gerizim was uh, destroyed, and they said, fine, we don't need a temple. We'll just keep offering sacrifices. I read even up until modern days, there was sacrifices made on the top of that mountain instead of the faithful place that God had called his people to worship, which was Jerusalem. So you have a lot of interesting dynamics happening as Jesus walks in with a, a group of faithful Jews and he comes into this Samaritan village. Why did Jesus go this way? Faithful Jews would most often cross the Jordan and go south on the other side of the Jordan to avoid having to go through Samaria. But Jesus purposefully led his group, large group of people, down right into the heart of Samaria. Why? Why did he do that? It's faster to get to, to Jerusalem this way. You don't have to go around. But what we find is these 10 months that Jesus is walking out, he's not in a rush to get to Jerusalem. He's going there, no doubt. But he meanders all over the place on his way. He's purposeful in where he goes. I think he chose to go this way because it began to illustrate this was the path of rejection. 
He was heralded and welcomed and followed by masses of people in Galilee. But then when he dropped into Samaria, all of a sudden, they began to look at Jesus in a different way. This is the path of rejection. This is the journey to Jerusalem as it begins. It will only get worse from here. Listen to the response of James and John here. When his disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, right, by the way, when they saw this, they said, Lord, uh, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and just kill them all? Should we do that? We, We got this. You say the word, right? All you have to do is say the word, we'll do our thing. Hmm. Is this the right response? Sounds a bit like turn or burn, doesn't it? Reminds us a bit of the Crusades. Oh, what a horrible blight on the history of the church and Christianity to march across Europe with a sword in hand and say, trust Jesus as your Lord or die. Is that the gospel, friends? Now, let's flip the coin and look at it another way. To reject Jesus is, in fact, to invite fiery judgment. Is it not? To reject the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has right over all things, to reject him is, in fact, to invite the falling of fire in that very moment. Who is worthy to stand in the face of that kind of rejection? No one. It is the obligation, immediate obligation, when confronted by Jesus to repent and turn and trust and follow. But Jesus' mission when he came the first time was a mission of mercy. He came like a lamb. This was his mission as he described it in John chapter 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in, in order that the world may be saved through him. His mission this first round is mercy. Come all. The invitation goes out. Come. Find rest. Turn from your sins. Find life. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. But we need to remember that the larger story, as we looked at last week, does tell of the return of the king when he comes not like a lamb in his second coming. He comes like a lion. And fire will fall and judgment will be had. And so we see both of these and we celebrate the gift of God's grace in mercy. And so he responds to the sons of thunder and he turns and and rebukes them and they continue on to another village. It's important to see this. When we think about evangelism, friends, we think about evangelism as an invitation of God's grace, of his mercy, of his lavish love, his provision in Christ, and it comes to all those who will turn from their sins and acknowledge him as Savior and Lord. It's weighty, though, isn't it? Because rejecting him in that way, is to store up wrath for the day he returns like a lion. And so there's an urgency to our work. But we don't come and and stand in front of people and say, turn or burn! We go with love and grace 
when we don't quit, we don't give up. We invite, and we invite, and we invite, and we call for repentance, and we say, come, 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 come. Over and over and over. Now, with all of this as a backdrop, I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning in in the remaining verses. I think Luke has arranged these verses to, to create for us a bit of a backdrop to understand how these three would-be followers are responding to this call of Christ. The Samaritans, they just rejected him. And he, in mercy, not in judgment, he walked on. Now we have three examples here, three would-be followers, and very interesting verses. I want to set these up with the call, follow me. I want you to think about what is involved in these two words. I, I love John Piper's commentary on these verses. I thought it was the most insightful of everything I studied this past week. He was saying how fascinating it is that in this small little command, there's two main parts. There's follow, and then there's me. In this, you have Jesus. You have the me. It's Jesus. You get Jesus. You, you get Christ. Follow me, he says. You also get the path. Follow, he says. Follow me. So let's see this kind of work its way out. He, he gives, I think, a teaching and a test to these three would-be disciples. Uh, the question at the heart of these interactions, really, that, that we should be asking this morning is, how much is Jesus Christ worth? What is the value of Christ Jesus, the Savior? What is his value? So number one, worth more than home. You can fill that in on your notes. Worth more than home, verses 57 and 58. Let's watch his interaction with this first would-be follower. As they were going along the road, someone came up and said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is Jesus saying here? Why would he say that? Well, I mean, he just was rebuked and rejected there at, in the town of, uh, in Samaria. I mean, he, he, he's looking for a place to spend the night still and to have dinner. Beyond that, He's speaking of rejection. He's speaking of the path. He's talking about the reality that following Christ is not just a walk in the park. Yes, you get the person, but you also get the path. This man who kind of sounds a bit like the Apostle Peter, right? He comes up. Maybe even this would-be follower is kind of comparing himself to the Samaritans. Oh, they won't go to Jerusalem, but I will. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. I'm in. I'm with you. It's as if Jesus is saying, do you realize what Jerusalem holds? Do you realize what you're signing up for here? Do you realize how difficult this path is? You do, yes, you get Jesus but you also get Jerusalem. Oh, how often the gospel is presented as just 
all these wonderful things. Your life will get better. Everything is going to be great. You'll have smiles and health and wealth and prosperity. Every relationship is just going to be easy. Your marriage will be just this just amazing thing. Oh, your kids will rise up and call you blessed. Come to Jesus and all your dreams will come true. Jesus says, uh, if you want to follow me, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Come on, let's go. Come with me. To be in the path with Jesus is to be out of step with the world. To walk with Christ is to be ridiculed and rejected. It literally says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? Jesus said, you'll be hated by all because of me. That's the path he calls us to. He wants us to see how significant this is for our lives. Oh, we need to cut through all this mamby-pamby preaching that following Jesus is easy. You get Jesus, yes! You get him and the value that he is, but he comes with a path that leads to Jerusalem. And the would-be followers need to reckon with this reality. Jesus has already said this, if anyone would come after me, he, he must deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. Whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He's talking about the path, friends. So, for this would-be follower, he needs to grapple with the reality of these things. I mean, how, how much do I love Jesus compared to my nice house? Or my soft bed, because Jesus is saying, listen, there, there will be days where you have no bed when you're following me. There, there will be discomfort. You might have to say goodbye to your hometown to follow me. Where I lead you, you must go. How about this one? No bugs. No, but you realize how spoiled we are living in the Northwest? We have so few bugs. Everywhere else I go in this world, I'm just like, wow, we don't have those back home. No bugs. Air conditioning. I remember when Kathleen Long posted a picture of a very hot summer in Bangladesh and her candles had melted in the humidity. They were drooping down to the table. And I thought, if your candles do that, imagine what I would look like there. <laughs> I would be sprawled out on the floor in a puddle. How does she do it? I'll tell you how. Not because she loves it, but because she loves him. That's how. She's willing to endure the follow because of the me. She'll take the path to get the person. We have an amazing example in Kathleen, in Brenda, in Janelle. From within our family here, God has raised up bold, faithful followers to go and carry the torch in difficult places. And they have said to all of these things, 
safety, security, familiarity, comfort. We're following you. We'll follow you. Jesus, you are worth more than my home, than my comfort, than my air conditioner. You are worth more than my safety. You are worth more than my life, if need be. Is he that for you? Do you feel that way about Jesus this morning? That's the point of these verses. That's why he's saying the path is not easy, but it's worth it all. Now, a second would-be follower worth more than family. Verse 59 and 60. To another he said, follow me. Now just catch this. This is Jesus himself calling this would-be follower with the same words he called his own disciples. He says to this man, follow me. And this is how this man responds. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Whoa. Now, when you first read this, you're just like, wow, Jesus must be having a bad day. <laughs> like, maybe he's just really hungry. Does he really mean this? Did he just say that? Absolutely, he meant this. A few things to consider in this. Number one, when he says, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Culturally speaking, we've got to do a little bit of work here. In that day, the moment you died, the funeral began. There's no waiting around like we can for days. It was like the body begins to decompose. You better do what you need to do to get it in the ground. It would start immediately. So this man's father is most likely not dead. He hasn't yet died. He's maybe sick or elderly, or potentially he may be just you know, 20 years older this, than this guy, and he's saying, listen, man, I love my dad a lot. I can't be gone if, if he's getting older, so I'm choosing dad. I'm choosing dad first. Hmm. That changes things, doesn't it? Is this really about a funeral, or is this about a higher allegiance? This is what Piper said, I, I love this quote, the point is not that it's never right for a missionary to come home for his dad's funeral. That's not what Jesus is saying. The point is that it might be right not to. And the issue is how it serves the proclamation of the gospel and how it reveals where your treasure is. Who is first, Christ or family? Whoa. You see why Jesus responded the way he did? Young man, I have given you a command, follow me. And you are suggesting that in front of me is family? Hmm. Here's the thing. I want to say this with great care. It's so easy to overstate this, but we have to go here. We, we've got potential problems 
in our day. I think the American church is right to place great emphasis on the importance of family. I think it's critical that fathers be fathers and mothers be mothers and kids obey their parents and be together and have fun and have family nights and do things together. Yes. All of that, yes. But you can take your family and build a golden calf and bow to the idol of family and replace Jesus Christ in the process. Your family is so important. It's, it's, it's such a display of God's work and intention for us. But your family is never more important than Jesus. Never. If your spouse says, I've had it with church, I'm not going, you go. Don't stop. Because Jesus matters more in your life. I'll tell you a story. It happened right here. A man I shared this stage with and singing and worshiping and praising the Lord came to me one day and he said, Pastor, I just got to tell you, we're, uh, I think we're done with the church thing. Really? What's going on? What, what happened? He said, well, here's the deal. My, my, my kids, they just don't like getting up on Sunday mornings and coming to church anymore. They, they don't like that. I'll tell you what we, we love. We like getting up, staying in our pajamas, making pancakes, and watching cartoons as a family. We just want to have some family time, and we're so busy that Sunday morning is really our only chance to do that. Hmm. What do you think I said? Well, good for you, man. Good to see that you're loving your family. I talked about a golden cow and the suicidal decision he was making for his children to remove them from church. Do that on Saturday, man. Do pancakes and cartoons. And then on Sunday, put Jesus first. And let your family know there's nothing more important in this home than Christ. He did not listen to my words. And to this day, they are not attending a church anywhere. They are bowing to the idol of family. I fear for their souls. This is real, friends. This happens. This happens. We have to be on our guard that any good thing that God gives would take His place as foremost in our hearts. Your spouse, your kids, your job, your old car, your golf score, or your hipster jeans. Whatever it may be, the idol factory of our hearts is churning and the enemy will play that song all the way to the fires of hell. It's harder to notice when good things replace Christ because they're given for his glory, not for his replacement. We have to be on our guard. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. So I'll tell you this without blinking an eye. 
I love Jesus more than my wife. I always have, and I always will. And she loves that. You're looking for a, a, a potential spouse. You're dating or trying to find, so you find someone who loves Jesus way more than you. If they don't, run, run. Now, just say a word since we're here about singleness. There is in singleness an opportunity, and I would just say this, in this context of the, the idol of family, friends, we have to be so careful how we think about, talk about, and interact with those who are single. It's not a problem to be single. You realize this. There's nothing wrong with singleness. It is an opportunity to glorify God. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, it just raised the banner for this. He even said, I wish all of you were as I am, single. Why would he say that? Because of the freedom, the flexibility, the opportunity to leverage himself in, in an undivided focus for kingdom work. Do you think that Kathleen would be able to do all the things she's doing if God had not blessed her with the opportunity of singleness? If she had a bunch of kids and a spouse, would she be able to do all she's doing? No. She has embraced God's goodness to her in that singleness, and she is running the race for his glory, making the best use of her time, and it's an example to us all. Now, marriage is a wonderful thing. Kids are a wonderful thing, but let us never conclude that singleness is a problem. It is an opportunity, and we should cheer on our single brothers and sisters. Praise God when they're serving and active and making the best use of their time, and let's learn from that in our own lives. Mm. The glory of God can be leveraged by purposeful singleness in this world. Now, let's move on. Jesus, you are worth more than my family. Let's just conclude that, right? We have to land here with these words. You matter more. You come first. Above all else, including my own family, Jesus, supreme in my heart. Now, the last would-be follower, I just titled this, worth more than anything you could ever leave behind. Worth more than anything. Jesus is worth more than anything you could ever leave behind. Verse 61 Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. <laughs> it just seems like such a, 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 a normal exchange. Hey, I'm following you. I just have to say goodbye to some folks back home. Okay, I'll be right there, right? I'm, I'm coming. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is being so direct because this is an important issue. This man displays a divided heart, I believe, and Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. Maybe a modern-day example of this would be uh, the, the young person who says, listen, I, I know Jesus wants my life, and I know he's there, and I even believe that he died for me and loves me, but here's the thing, I'm young I like to party. I like to drink. I like to have fun. I will give him my life after that is done. 
the divided heart. I'll follow you, Lord, but first I'm trying to build a career. This career is important to me. I've worked really hard to get where I'm at. I just don't have time to follow you yet, but I will. I just, I just need some time, right? This matters more to me right now. I will follow you, Lord, but this is a great way to spot this. It's the divided heart. What's this thing about plowing? No one who sets his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. What, why, why is that a problem? Well, you cannot plow in a straight line if you're looking backwards. In our day, just try getting on the on-ramp here. No, please don't do this. <laughs> try driving 70 miles an hour down the freeway while looking backwards at the cars behind you. How's that going to go? It's a divided heart. What is the Christian to do? Look straight ahead. Lock eyes with Jesus. Follow me, he says. He is our focus. He's going to Jerusalem. He set his face. I set my face to follow him. I'm going to be in his dust. Every time his sandal kicks up the dust of that trail, I'm right there. I'm following, covered in his dust. Where is he going? I want to be there. What am I not doing? Oh, look at all the things I left behind. Woe is me. That would have been fun. Boy, I, I sure could have had a lot of fun, if, except for Jesus. Boy, I could do that. When I drop my tithe in in the offering time, I'm looking back and saying, oh man, think of all the things I could have purchased with that amount. Oh, but here we go. We're just trying to drive. You see what I'm saying? The divided heart. Jesus is worth more than anything you could leave behind. Anything. When God got a hold of me and sent my heart to Bible school, I, I had to leave my home. I spent four years in downtown Chicago and struggled. It was hard. I was out of my place. I'm, I'm just a kid from Yakima and the country. I, I grew up hunting and in the outdoors in the mountains, not in an urban jungle and all kinds of, I just was out of my place. But here's the best way to survive a change of culture. Walk with Jesus. Follow him. Met Jenny at Bible school, spent five and a half years in Michigan. It's hot and humid. I remember certain days, I'm just like, oh, Lord, I don't think I was made for this humidity. I mean, look at me now. I'm sweating just standing here. Mm. We left Jenny's home where all of her relatives live within a two-mile radius to take a, a job and follow the Lord's lead to California, 2,000 miles away. It was hard. It was hard. But it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. We've been here for 11 years. We have no grandparents in town. You are our family. You're, you're the family that we have here. You're the roots that we sink into. God is good. He is worth it all. Follow him. Listen to Paul. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Do you hear it? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Oh, he is the all-surpassing worth. And when he says, follow me, I hear the me and I say, lead on. Let's go. Where are we going? 
It is a path of rejection. It is a difficult path. You will be mocked, ridiculed, rejected. You will be out of step your entire life. If you're in step with Jesus, you are an alien, a stranger, a sojourner. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. And it's worth it all. It's worth it all. Because He is the prize. He's the prize. The pearl of great price. The treasure hidden in a field. Jesus, everything I've lost, I've found in you. Story after story in this church could be told of how that's true. We will spend forever with brothers and sisters who lost everything, including their lives. And they found more in Christ. Where does that leave us this morning? How is this to land in our hearts, to live in this next week for us? Just a couple thoughts. The call of Christ is here and present this morning. He made a way for sinners to be forgiven. He did all the work. It's done. It's finished. He took on himself all of our sin and he, and he buried it. He paid it in full. And then after three days, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, and Satan, and offering life in his name. His call this morning to each person in this room is, follow me. Follow me. How will you respond? Do you see his worth? Do you see how precious this Savior is? is to you. He's worth more than anything else you could ever imagine in your life. So don't give excuses. Stop holding back. Surrender all and follow Him. Trust Him as Savior and Lord. Turn from your sins and find forgiveness and life and hope in Christ alone. I'll tell you this with confidence from my own story and millions of others who have said this. You will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. You won't have regrets. If you truly see him for who he is, there will be no turning back. It's straight ahead. So Christians this morning, let this be the song of your soul. Jesus first, above all else, in everything, always and forever. Is that where you're at? You feel that? Do you see him in that way? That is my longing and that is my reality. I, I long more and more that Jesus would be my absolute obsession the first in my heart, that I would love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength more and more every day. That as I do that, those things that he gives, those good gifts will be held out for his glory. Those family members that he has given so precious to me would be loved and shepherded in the light of his truth and love and glory for his purpose 
and that every day I'm given, every breath I draw has a reason and a purpose. Not mine, but yours. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we honor you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are worthy and you are worth it all. You are precious, more precious than anything we could ever know. You are the reward. We long for you with all our hearts. We look to you with with everything that we have. We, We depend upon you from the depths of our soul. We delight in you as our greatest joy and our song. Father, thank you for your love and sending your only Son to to make a way for people like us, rebels, sinners, those who are unworthy of this great gift, but who relish in your love. We, We were so blessed by you that you have loved us in this way through Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not have any competing treasures, but that Jesus would be first and foremost in our lives and that all the people in our lives would be clear on that, that they would know that, that it would just emanate from our lives everywhere we go. Lord, use us to point others to this precious gift in Jesus Christ. We pray, amen.